Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this morning and ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do each week, and most of you are probably regular viewers, but in case we've got a new one, let me explain what we do. We take questions from our viewing audience. Uh, you can do that on the phone. You can do that on the uh, website that we have on the screen at all times. Use those anytime. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like to know, and we'll try to find an answer to your question about anything in the Bible or something in life that the Bible might have something to say about. So give us a call. And you direct this program. Toby Levering's here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we always have a question for our viewers to start. So this one's about a mountain. Uh, what mountain did Moses receive the law? A famous mountain, and I'm sure most of you know it, but we'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, Toby, looks like you drew the first question, so get us started. Did draw the first one, and it's a difficult topic. A viewer asked the question, is it possible for a Christian to commit suicide and still be saved? Uh, first of all, uh, in any situation, regardless of, of what it is, the age of the person or the circumstances involved, suicide is always a terrible thing. And if you're watching this program and uh, you are suicidal or have been in the past, maybe you're depressed in some way, I absolutely would encourage you to seek uh, professional help, to find a, a, a a Christian counselor and and get the help that you need. Don't waste any time. Uh, it's it's a very uh, serious thing, and you should deal with it seriously. Uh, it's a sickness of the mind, and uh, when you're con in that state of mind, it can be hard to think correctly. And so you need to. There, there's help for you. So please seek that out. Now, as to the question, uh, can a person who commits suicide, and you say specifically, uh, can a Christian? commit suicide and be saved. And the, the issue on this question, some people you know, think, well, uh, the logic is suicide is self-murder. Okay? And that murder obviously is a, is a sin, and it's not something you are repenting of, uh, and it ends your life. And so if you die with a sin that's not been repented of, you would go to hell, was, is the logic. And I understand that logic, and that makes sense. Uh, and... It, it it seems reasonable. What that logic leaves out is uh, the, the mercy and the understanding of God. As I've said, suicide often comes from people who are sick in the mind. And uh, so it's very hard to judge because God alone knows the, the, the state of their heart, the condition of their mind and uh, their heart. So um, we don't get into the judging business here on Know Your Bible. Naturally, we would, we would uh, discourage anyone from committing suicide, even if you're having thoughts of that, as I said at the beginning. Um, but to make an absolute black or white that, yes, everybody who commits uh, suicide is instantly in hell, uh, leaves out understanding, one, their mental condition, the state of their heart, 
um, and two, uh, the judgment of God. Now, that judgment is reserved for God alone, and He may send some people to hell. Uh, he may have uh, mercy on them, uh, but I do know that whatever He decides will be exactly the right decision. So that's a judgment that we need to leave in the hands of God. Uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, and this scripture tells us this. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but God, uh, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. My answer to that is uh, that decision is up to God, and he'll make the right decision. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Question about the 144,000. Uh, viewer says, I heard that only 144,000 will be in heaven. Is that true? Well, if that was true, it'd be a little bit discouraging because I'm sure there's 144,000 uh, good folks have passed on already. Uh, if it's full, we've got problems. But no, that's not true. Uh, the verse that mentions 144,000 around the throne uh, says that, but if you just read a few more verses, you'll find out the answer. And this is the... Uh, secret to a lot of things in Bible study, and we tell you that all the time, is check the context, go just a little bit further, go back a little bit, uh, read a few verses around it, and you may find the answer right there. So let's do that. We'll look at both verses. Uh, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4 says, and this is John's vision of heaven, and he says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And he says they're around the throne worshiping God. Uh, so, yes, represents 144,000. It's symbolic of the Jews that had accepted Christ. Uh, but then in verse 9, just five verses later, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. So... There's the context, there's the whole story. Uh, once you get the rest of the story, you understand that, yeah, there's going to be a large number, 144,000 is symbolic, a large number of Jews that accepted Jesus, but there's going to be a whole lot of people from every nation, every tribe, a multitude of them. So Jews and Gentiles, all going to be in heaven a number that John couldn't count, and we don't have to count, but we know it's a whole lot more than 144,000. All right, Toby. Uh, viewer asked the question, <clears throat> what does James 5, 19 through 20 mean about turning a sinner from error? Well, uh, okay, let's look at the scripture uh, first on the screen, James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, and if you read on the screen or follow along in your Bibles at home, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and bring and someone should bring that person back remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins um, this is uh, interesting on a couple for a couple of reasons one uh, there is a uh, the modern doctrine of, of one saved always saved, that uh, a Christian, once they uh, believe in Jesus, that they cannot lose their salvation, that they cannot, uh, that they're once they're in, they're in, and there's nothing they can do to have that uh, salvation 
uh, lost. Well, James chapter 5, 19 through 20 uh, seems to disagree with that doctrine and that teaching. I agree, once saved, always saved is a very comforting <coughs> doctrine, uh, but we can see clearly that Christians can, those who have followed away from, follow, follow Jesus can turn away from Him. Uh, those who are in Christ can wander away uh, following Jesus and then turning back to follow the world. It happened with Jesus, it happened in the first century church, and it happens today. And James is uh, addressing those people uh, who have fallen away, who have left Jesus, and he's speaking to those who, who might help them back, who might help them, encourage them to follow Jesus once again. Uh, and I think that is a good lesson for those of us who are in Christ, that we should always have a heart for uh, the lost sheep, for the wandering sheep. Uh, those who follow the shepherd and then gradually drift away or b- make a decision to turn back from following Jesus. Uh, we should want to encourage them. We pray for them. We show concern. Uh, and that's important to do. And that's the heart of God. Uh, he wants to turn people who are in error and in sin back. And it's also a message of hope that I think it's never too late for a person who comes to Jesus or wanders from Jesus. So uh, I think that's the lesson. And uh, as we read the scripture, it's quite clear. We pay attention to the doctrines and teachings of men, or we can pay attention to what God's word says. All right, let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we study the Bible with you a little bit each week, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get to. Uh, so we advocate home Bible study. We recommend that uh, you get your Bible and spend some time in it. Uh, we also recognize that that's hard for some people. It's hard to get started, and the Bible's a little confusing uh Parts of it, when you start the very start of the Old Testament, parts of it are quite frankly a little bit boring. Uh, it's got long lists of rules and regulations and people and generations. It's hard to get going sometimes. <clears throat> so, but we think there's some other ways to study the Bible than just sitting down reading through it. And we've got some Bible study tools that we're happy to share with you. Uh, the courses, this one comes in the mail, there's eight lessons in it. <clears throat> starts out talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, so you understand those two big parts. Then uh, we've got some other advanced courses that you see on the screen now, uh, good ways to get more in-depth in the Bible, and all those will come to you through the mail, and we also have now an online course that you can take. Uh, just go to that website that you see there, oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and it'll hook you up with us. And we'll get you some great courses that uh, come to you on your uh, laptop, your mobile phone, uh, your uh, iPad, whatever you've got. You can study the Bible that way. So we think it's a great way to study the Bible, uh, form a regular habit of Bible study with these tools. So uh, phone number, website are on the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us you'd like that free course or you'd like to try the online course. And we'll get you started on it. Study the Bible with us. A question about baptism, specifically infant baptism. What about infant baptism? Does that count? Well, interesting way to put it, and my first answer would be, uh, yes, it counts for a lot. Uh, When someone tells me they were baptized as an infant, uh, that counts. It tells me that they were raised in a religious, God-fearing family. 
uh, tells me that their parents were conscientious about uh, wanting to raise a child right. Uh, infant baptism was kind of a pledge from the parents uh, that we're going to raise this child right and teach them about God and all that. So it counts in that way. It tells us a lot about your family. Uh, but all of those things are about the parents. Now, if you're asking, does it count eternally for the infant? Uh, is the infant saved by God eternally because of what the parents did years ago? Uh, I'd have to say from the Bible, no, that doesn't count for that. Uh, the Bible's very clear that people who come to God uh, need to understand Him, believe in Him, uh, and understand what that's all about and make a conscious decision uh, that they want to serve Him and be His child. Uh, an infant can't do any of those things. In fact, I made a little list of some of the direct things the Bible says you have to do uh, to please God, to be saved. Romans 10, 14, 15 says you have to hear the Word. You have to hear what Jesus did. John three sixteen, famous verse, says you have to believe in Jesus. Acts seventeen thirty says you got to repent. Unless you repent, you can't be saved. Romans ten nine, you have to confess His name. In Acts two thirty eight, you have to be baptized. Now, if you look at that list, obviously an infant uh, can't do any of those things. So. Uh, as far as eternal salvation, as far as our relationship with God, no infant baptism doesn't do anything for the individual. Uh, gives them a good start in life maybe and something to aspire to, but when they get old enough and start to understand what sin is and think about God, uh, they have to make that decision for themselves and do the things that I just put on the screen there. Uh, and that's what counts uh, in that terminology for eternal salvation. You were, uh, kind of goes to the other end of the spectrum <laughs> from infants to uh, our loved ones in heaven. And they want to know, will, our, will we know our loved ones in heaven? Well, at, to start, we want to say that the Bible doesn't give, give us many specifics about heaven. I think partially because it's beyond human <clears throat> description, uh, beyond human understanding. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, a man in Christ, received a vision of the third heaven, of the, the place where God and celestial beings reside, and, and he said it was just inexpressible. It was in words, it, it was uh, just too wonderful uh, to, to be able to verbalize, to write down, to describe adequately. So the Bible doesn't give us a lot, but every time it does describe it, it describes it in uh, the most... Uh, wonderful, uh, exquisite, uh, uh, tremendously uplifting and, and, and uh, ways that we, I can hardly describe it, look at me. Uh, so my guess is that as we get those descriptions, we're just getting a glimpse of how good it is. So the, the Bible doesn't really say, and it doesn't really answer that, but my guess is that part of heaven being so wonderful is the, the people that are there with us. And, of course, the Lord's presence and Christ himself. That's really what makes the essence of heaven so beautiful and majestic. Uh, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6 not to store up treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but to store up treasures in heaven. Well, goodness, what kind of treasures can you possibly take with you to heaven, a place that's already so tremendously wonderful and, and a treasure within itself? Well, the only treasure that we can take with us are the souls of people, uh, other people, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones. Uh, that's who God wants us. That's the treasures that Jesus calls us to store up in heaven. So uh, in my estimation, uh, yes, we'll know our loved ones, and uh, we'll, it'll be a glorious eternity. Uh, and, but the Bible doesn't say specifically, and you know the answer that we often say on the program is, uh, whatever it needs to be perfect, uh, God will have there. And uh, I believe personally that includes our loved ones uh, being reunited with those who've gone on before. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. Uh, let's read that. And this is a description of a part of this beautiful place. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. If you just focus on that verse 3, they will be his people. So there will be a lot of people there, and I think we'll know uh, many of them. All right, a question about what we can do on Sunday. A uh, viewer says Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest. Now, what about working after attending church if it's a job requirement? All right, person has a job, they got to work on Sunday. Uh, if I go to church and get that done, then can I go work a little bit? Well, let's think about it a little different way. First of all, Sunday is not the Sabbath. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was a day of rest when they had limitations on what they could do and not do. They weren't supposed to work. Uh, and the purpose of it wasn't to limit them from work. The purpose was to give them a day of rest. So there's a principle there that although we're not bound by the Sabbath anymore, and Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, uh, we don't have those rules and regulations. We have freedom in Christ. But the principle that it's not good for man to work seven days a week is still true. Uh, we ought to find some time for rest. There ought to be some time when we don't uh, work or think about the uh, material requirements of this life and enjoy things. Rest a little bit is what God said. Uh, so that's a principle. Uh, there's one other principle I think is important here. Time in worship a time with our spiritual family is good for us. Uh, the Bible says that's how we encourage each other. That's when we uh, spend time for each other. That's when we grow spiritually. Uh, it's good for our mental health. It's good for our families. It's good for us spiritually uh, to worship together and be together with families, uh, church family. So with those two principles, uh, what you do on Sunday, you're free to do what you can. Uh, but if you want to attend worship, spend some time with the church family, and then you have to work some, uh, you're free to do that. Uh, just remember those two principles. Uh, with those two principles, I would advise against a Christian ever taking a job where they have to work every Sunday. 
Uh, maybe they get Thursday and Friday off, but they have to work every Sunday and they can never get together with their church family. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, there's no law against it, no biblical law against it even, uh, but it's not good. So think of those two principles as you uh, look for a job or accept a job. Uh, I wouldn't take a job that I had to work every Sunday and always miss worship, uh, but neither would I do something that I had to work seven days a week uh, or the opposite, playing all weekends. Not good either. Uh, some people spend every weekend, all weekend, uh, their favorite pastime. That's good that they're resting, uh, but they're not getting any time with the church family. So put all those principles together and make your own decision. Uh, take a job that allows you the freedom to worship with your family most of the time at least and uh, don't miss church all the time. That's my advice. No biblical verses on that one to, to tell you exactly what to do, but I hope that helps. So, let me talk just a moment about uh, visiting a Church of Christ where it's sponsored by the Churches of Christ, kept on the air by them, and we like to mention one or two each week. Uh, that help keep us on the air. Here are two of our partners. Uh, one's in Springfield, Missouri, the Watermill Church of Christ. Great bunch of folks there. Um, Bill McFarland's a minister. I know you'd enjoy hearing him, getting to meet him and the rest of the family there. And then Burlington, Iowa, down on South Roosevelt there. If you live in the Burlington area, uh, both of those churches are uh, partners of ours with Know Your Bible and help us stay on the air and help us do a lot of the things that we do up in Iowa and the Quad Cities area and down in Springfield. So if you're looking for a church home, drop in, visit them sometime. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends one of those churches. Tell them, hey, I watched Know Your Bible and saw you guys mentioned the other day. I appreciate you keeping that on the air for us. So uh, we thank them for their support and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Okay, the next question is a, a common one, one that we get often on this program, and I think probably at the core of most of our questions. Uh, what scripture states that we are not living under the old law, but under, the, but are under the new law? Uh, there are so many questions that uh, can be understood and the answer ascertained by just simply understanding the difference in that that thin little page in your Bible of the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The scripture tells us that we live under uh, the new uh, covenant, uh, the, the blood uh, covenant of Jesus, and uh, that as such we are New Testament Christians. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe the Old Testament. We certainly do. We certainly believe everything in it. Uh, but we are not under it. We're under a different uh, a covenant is a, a legal arrangement between God and another person or group of people. Uh, Noah had a covenant with God that was different than the covenant that God made with Moses and the Israelites. Um, that was, you know, there are different covenants. And we're, through Jesus Christ, under a different covenant today. And the scripture is quite clear on this. You asked for them, so we're going to look at three of them. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, For sin will no longer have dominion over you, since you are not under law, and this is referring to the law of Moses here, but under grace, the grace that came through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus himself fulfilled the, every requirement of the law so that we might be under the grace of Jesus. Romans chapter 7 verse 6 says, 
But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay, and uh, these two scriptures make it quite clear. Colossians chapter two, verse thirteen and fourteen. Another one, and you who were dead in your trans- trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That old law and all of its requirements were fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we don't have to live under the old law anymore. Now, some smart students say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What about the the Ten Commandments, for example? Well, uh, nearly all of those commands are repeated in the new covenant of Jesus, except for one of of, uh, honoring the Sabbath. And observing the Sabbath, uh, that those are different covenants. So when we understand the difference between the covenants, it makes a huge difference in understanding uh, that we no longer have to obey the law uh, because it's impossible to do one and because Jesus already fulfilled that. And because of that, then we are under his grace uh, and living according to what he wants, how he wants us to live. So those are the scriptures and I hope that clarifies that first Bible correspondence course, by the way, makes this uh, very clear. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that if you're wanting more study on the subject. All right. A question about the 12 <clears throat> tribes. Who are the 12 tribes of Israel now? And I don't know if I'm answering this right or not. Uh, one way, uh, maybe they meant where are the 12 tribes of Israel now? Uh, where is the tribe of Judah? Where is the tribe of Manasseh and all of that? Uh, to answer that part of the question or that kind of the question, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel don't exist and don't know where they are. Uh, of course, in the Old Testament, there were a number of exiles, and when they came back to Israel, many of them stayed there. And then in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, all the records were destroyed, the Jews were scattered, uh, and they can't trace their lineage now. They don't know which tribe they were from, so the 12 tribes in that sense don't exist uh, maybe the person was asking, uh, who is Israel now? Is there a new Israel? And yes, the church is the new Israel. Christians are the chosen ones of God. And the Bible, New Testament talks a lot about that. Now let me show you one verse that may help you understand this. Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Uh, Jews, of course, their symbol of being God's people was circumcision. He said that doesn't mean anything anymore. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Uh, So Christians are the new Israel, and I hope one of those answers is what our uh, viewer was trying to ask there about who are the 12 tribes of Israel. Glad you've been with us today. We want to make sure we answer our trivia question before we stop. Uh, On what mountain did Moses receive the law? Well, a lot of you probably knew that was Mount Sinai. 
uh, Exodus 19. You can read the whole story and a pretty exciting story about Moses going up on the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments and the the, the law. So uh, check Exodus 19. We're glad you've been with us today and hope we get to your question. If not, we're going to be back next week and try to answer some more of them. So we invite you to be back with us then and study the Bible with us again. Uh, Thank you for being here. And until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.